You're listening to Lehigh Insider. My name is Benor Ayambem, and welcome to a brand new episode. My guest today is Lehigh's Vice President of Equity and Community, Dr. Donald Outing. Dr. Outing joined Lehigh in 2017, and since then he has done incredible work with managing Lehigh's diverse community. He created the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Um, but even before then, Dr. Outing lived or has lived an incredible life and we will we talked about all of that today we talk about his upbringing in Baltimore and we talk about the time he spent in the military and the Navy specifically but we also talk a bit about you know his family and his personal life and about grief and loss Dr. Outing has lost two people really close to him um, in 2014 and 2016 we talk about all of that and he's just a great guy great to talk to easy to talk to um so i hope that you enjoyed this episode once again thank you for listening and here is dr donald outing welcome to lehigh insider dr donald outing thank you for joining me today you're welcome glad to be here (laughs) And I told you as well that there's so much about you that's already out there on the internet. One of those things is your service in the military, which is of a lot of interest to me for many, many reasons. One of them being the fact that you were actually recruited. Um, I want you to talk to me about that a little bit, like that experience of being recruited. Why do you think they were interested in you? Okay, yeah, (laughs) so I was actually a midshipman. Mm -hmm. And I was a midshipman at the U.S. Naval Academy. And I was recruited um, to attend the U.S. Naval Academy because of my academic as well as my um, athletic um, abilities. So I was a four-sport athlete. Um, I was an All-American in three of those sports in high school. So I was being recruited at the time by a number of colleges, Mm. but it was when I visited the Naval Academy for the first time that I really fell in love with that military environment. So I just, I just love that. You know, I, I love the uniforms, love the structure, the discipline, the people that I ran into. So it was. Mm. So you, you started out, you were recruited. Yeah. And what is appealing at the time, you know, you're younger, the aesthetics, but my guess is that, you know, there has to be some deeper cause or meaning. I mean, there's other beautiful places, other places with structure that you could go to. Sure. What did being in the military mean to you? Like, how did you find that cause for yourself? It was a it was a lifestyle that mm. suited me. Growing up as a young boy in Baltimore, um, one of the things that I needed was structure and discipline. I was a bit of a wild um, <laughs> um, kid growing up. Um, my mom, a single parent, was raising six of us, five boys and one girl. And um, I was always off exploring, doing, doing things on my own. So the military really did provide a lot of structure for me that I didn't know I needed. Mm. But when I was in it, it was really comfortable. Mm. Uh, the other part of it is it, the people that you interact with, that you work with, that you live with on a daily basis. These are people that are committed to similar values and principles that you're committed to. And it's this idea of giving of yourself to a higher cause. It wasn't about 
people trying to elevate their profile or or um, pad their economic wealth or anything. These were people that were about service. And that was our common bond. And um, that um, I think that's was one of the driving forces that keeps you in. You like pe- some people talk about this calling that they mm. experience. Well, I f- I think I found my calling once I joined uh, the military. Okay. Well, I will come back to ask more about the military, but I also yeah. want to because I feel like this. Your military service is also tied into a lot of other things about your life. Like you said, you started started out with college, so it also ties into education a bit, ties into mathematics, which is the... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that, about education and yeah. about what about your life sure. made you think that this is such an important thing and if you still feel that way. I mean, you work at a university now. Yeah. What do you think about college and education and mm. how has your life informed those views? Yeah, good questions. Education for me was life changing. Um, my mom, like I told you, uh, raised six of us, and um, she always wanted to go off to college, but she never did. Mm-hmm. Um, she was at the top of her class um, in high school. She was one of the first black women to attend an all what was all an all white. Um, high school at that time and so always had aspirations to go off to college but never got that opportunity and so she always instilled in all of us that we were going to college and <laughs> didn't care what you did after that but you were mm-hmm. going to college mm-hmm. and so um went off to college but it changed it was it really was a life-changing experience because you were exposed to things that uh you weren't necessarily exposed to growing up, especially in an inner city environment from which I was coming from, inner city urban environment, which I was coming from. Um, I'll also say that uh, each of us, all six of us, um, through our our education um, pursuits, uh, ended up changing the quality of our lifestyle as a result of education. So it sounds like for you, this whole thing started from your mother. Yeah. And from sort of watching that growing up, then oh, yeah. you sort of, I think obviously it will, you absorb that need for education and then now you manifest it. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. I just saw, I really, I really bought into this idea that, you know, um, education, higher education, um, could level the playing field for mm. a number of people. So talk to me more about your own, yeah. um, how do I say, consciousness as a black man. Um, since educating yourself more about diversity and now making this your career, like how do you think that has translated to your own identity, how you view yourself? Do you think more actively about your race or about your identity, or has that always been the case for you? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I probably didn't think that much, ab- as much about my race until I left Baltimore. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I tell people that um, for me, mm-hmm. and I think this is true for a number of people um, uh, that are classified as minorities, if you will, mm-hmm. um, is that you really don't know what a minority is until you leave your environment. Um, and it wasn't until I went off to college that I had even heard 
you know, this idea of what a minority was and the way I was being perceived because of this classification. Um, without knowing anything about me, certain attributes were being assumed about me. Certain characteristics were being assumed. And um, I will say that with every career change, with every opportunity that I've had, I have always been consciously aware of being um, this cisgendered black male. Um, you know, everything about me um, seemed to be heightened, mm -hmm. if you will, for me. Mm -hmm. um, I have to, I'm always conscious I don't come off as too intimidating or too aggressive, um, especially with my stature. Um, six foot four. Um, I, played, I feel bad for pointing it out over well, no. and over again. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm comfortable with that. It, it, it's just that, um, you know, there's this perception that, uh, you know, if you're too aggressive of a black, as a, as a black being, that you could be perceived as uh, threatening, if you will. Um, always conscious of my voice, how I'm modulating my voice as sometimes when I'm upset, I know my voice gets higher and I have to suppress it and tamp it down um, to be heard. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it, and also, you know, acknowledging that uh, there's times where I was, I was literally ignored um, because of this um, black identity or uh, that I have. I love how you articulated that, and I really I relate to that because I I'm an international student from Nigeria, and just like you said, was not even aware that, that there was anything about that until I came to Lehigh and came to the U.S. and I was like, oh, this is a thing about me. Mm. Like I have this heightened awareness. That's the word you used. Yeah. Of just all the all the different parts of me now. I have to now really think about them more. I, I tell some of my friends that, you know, when we talk about things, sometimes when we use words like a privilege, people, um, they're triggered by it in a negative way because they don't understand that each of us has some sort of privilege in some way. And I talk about my privilege I have as, as a senior executive at a university. I talk about the privilege I have, acknowledge, I should say, I don't mm -hmm. talk about, I acknowledge <laughs> the privilege I have because of my socioeconomic status that I have right now. The privilege I have as a faculty member, as a staff member, there's a lot of privileges as, as a male in this society, as a heterosexual male in this society. I understand the privileges that I enjoy. But also try to get my, my friends, my colleagues understand the sheer privilege you have just by walking around, not having to think about your race or your gender. You never have to think. There's just because there's this, you know, even when we talk about diversity, we measure diversity from how, how far removed you are from white, heterosexual, Christian <laughs> male. You know, we, that's, that's how we measure everything. And so if you are one of those people, you never have to really be conscious of that. But then there are those of us that maneuver these spaces every day, and we always are conscious of who we are, our, our various identities, 
because that's how we're seen. Vice President of Equity and Community. Yeah. What is that? What does that mean? What does your work entail? What does that title mean? Um, You just said that you have an understanding of a whole lot of the things that goes into making the kind of change that you want to make. What are those whole lot of things? So, you know, you know, there's this, you know, you can go online and pull up the position description Uh of this title of this role, but essentially you can think of the, um, the vice president of equity and community here as being that university diversity and inclusion officer. Yeah. In other places, you would see them called the chief of diversity, diversity officer. Yeah. So when we talk about creating these environments where everyone can feel this sense of belonging, you can compare it to what's what the chief financial officer is doing with the uh. economic structure of the institution. There's going to be periods of economic growth, financial growth. There's going to be periods where there's going to be economic Mm. or financial losses. Mm. But that chief financial officer, their responsibility is ensuring that we can weather the storm, that the institution can still survive and move forward. Chief diversity officer is similar to that with the the social capital of the institution. And we're doing that. The institution is, is building an environment where everyone... Uh, will be able to uh, feel this this sense of inclusion. There's going to be times where things are good, and there's going to be crisis times where we're going to have bad actors within our mm-hmm. communities that are going to create bad acts. And you know, we just saw that with the young man that was um, assaulted uh, in Bethlehem. Here, we saw this last spring, I think it was, when we had an Asian American student that was attacked on campus here. Um, We've, we've seen that with um, uh, some of our faculty members that have been attacked because of their gender or race um, on social media. Um, and the institution will always be held accountable by its constituency. They're going to look to the institution and say, what are you going to do about that? Can, during those difficult times, can we, do we have enough social capital to survive that? Yeah. Will the... Will those that um, those stakeholders still believe that the institution is invested and um, is still committed to this idea of creating this inclusively excellent environment? That's what that chief diversity officer. That's what that vice president for equity and community mm. is charged to do. I like that comparison with the chief financial officer. I feel like that's a good way to really understand what you do. But I also imagine that it's very different because you're working with people, not money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that yeah, also yeah, yeah. ties into and it. It's a, I mean, you know, chief financial officer is like, you know, you're in the red or you're in the black. And yeah, it's, yeah, and, yeah. And it's easy to see exactly. by looking at your 100%. books. 100%. With um, yeah. people, human beings, there's a lot of other ways you got to measure More this. More nuanced. Oh, yeah. It's surveys. You've got to look at a wide spectrum yeah. of um, resources that are supporting people. It's how people feel. Yes. So even when we talk about this idea of sense of belonging. It's a feeling. Well, yeah. It's not something I can impart on you. I can't <laughs> say, okay, I'm giving you, you I'm giving you this sense of belonging. <laughs> the only thing we can do is create an environment and hope that we have the right environment where as an individual you sense and feel like you belong. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been here since 2017. Yeah. 
And your hiring was in conjunction with the creation of, of the office of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Not a coincidence. I had created no, it. Yeah. You wait, you were hired as the vice president of equity yeah. and community and then you created there was that no, office. That's right. There was no office. Well. There was only in the beginning. Uh, when John wow. Simon hired me, there was a vice president for equity and community, and there was a vision. Yeah. And, well. um, you know, that's why he brought me on, to, to build it. He had mm. this idea at the time, this this path to prominence idea. I remember. And this was about growing the student population by a th- undergraduate student population by 1,000, growing the graduate student population by 500, adding a new college of health, and all that went along with it. But one of the things that John recognized was that this was an opportunity to really change, have an ability to change the demographics of those that were seeking out um, Lehigh University as their destination for choice, academic destination of choice. Yeah. If he was going to do that, he knew that he needed a, a vice president that reported to him to help lead that that effort, that change here. Um, and so that was the vision. And wow. so bringing me on board, it was then, well, what are the resources we're going to need? Well, I'm going to need a team. Mm-hmm. And so we began to develop the Office of Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity from the ground up. To get that up. team. Yeah. Or do you have any reflections on this overall timeline of like, I don't know how much you knew about Lehigh's diversity culture before you got here, yeah. but how the creation of your office and your position changed that and then from then to present day and then how we imagine moving forward. I know there's a plan in place 2021 to 2026. Yeah, so a lot of this work was started through committee work, Um, recommendations on some of the changes that needed. And, And a lot of this grew out of the environment that existed here and you know, as the 2013 and 2009, 2011, where a number of incidents that were occurring on campus, um, the Emoja House incident, the um, the protests um, from beneath the rug um, that occurred here, the Black Lives Matter uh, rally that occurred here after Trayvon Martin um, was killed. Um, all of this demand came out of our student organizations, our faculty organizations, as well as our staff organizations. The community said it was time for Lehigh to change, and they recognized that they needed someone in the room at the table that was advocating daily at the strategic level for these changes, uh, for the institution to change. Um, So I, I recognized the work that was done in order for this position to be created and um, the genesis of that work. Yeah, so, so, so from that creation uh, of that position, we were able to um, fulfill this uh, promise, if you will, to stakeholders of not just bringing someone in as a figurehead for diversity, but someone to champion the change. Then the work became about, okay, We've identified these, these, these priority areas. How yeah. are we going to do it? So then it was developing the actions that we were going to take in support of, of, making, of having that come about. And that's some of the work that you're seeing done through our centers. 
some of the work that you're seeing done in our colleges and you know in our colleges on campus it's the work that's being done in some of our divisions um, when you look at things like we had a committee um, that went through and did a complete review of the LUPD practices um, policies um, there to ensure that they were in line with our um, social values and beliefs. Um, these are the types of things. That's just one example of some of the things that we began to invest in to bring about the change, the work that we're doing um, in cooperation with our admissions folks that, um, that have been um, intentional about increasing the racial diversity of the incoming classes that are coming in, the gender diversity, more women coming in, um, to our classes as well. The hiring practices within the colleges that are looking to identify faculty, more faculty of color um, so that students can see themselves in our faculty as well. So these are the types of work that we're being inspired. Even in our today, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty neat, you know, where we're at a point now where these things aren't emanating out of our office. These are things that are being designed and brought to us yeah. for support. You've, you've sort of answered all my questions about your job <laughs> and about what you do at Lehigh, but I'll ask you one more. Okay. It's, do you think that you are good at your job? How do you, how do you measure that? How do you know that you are? Well... With this work, you're only as good as your stakeholders um, and your peers tell you you are. Yeah. So um, at this point in time, I believe I'm good at what I do um, because of the feedback. But then also, um, one of the things that uh, we've been doing uh, through the office is uh, for the last five years, we've been submitting Lehigh um, for recognition in various areas. These, I use these as tools. Now, it's, it's nice when you win because you can brag that you won about <laughs> yeah. these things, but they're, because they're so data intensive, intensive um, it, it forces us to go through the work of submitting our body of work for external mm. uh, review. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so given that for four years, running now every year that we began submitting for this uh, Higher Education Excellence Diversity Award, or the HEED Award, as it's called. We've been recognized as a HEED um, uh, Award recipient. Um, for the past several years, we've been um, designated a, um, a campus, a, a preferred campus for our Jew Jewish student life, as well as... Um, a safe campus for our uh, LGBTQ community uh, with the awards and the accolades that we've been uh, receiving. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the work that we've been doing in creating this more diverse, inclusively excellent campus. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, yeah, that's a long way to answer. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I think I'm pretty good at my job right I now. I think so, too. But I think, I think it would be a little too... Uh, obvious if all we did was talk about DEI sure. with Dr. Donald Alding. Yeah. I mean, you're an interesting guy and there's some other things I want to talk to you about. Go for so, it. Yeah. So my first question is focused on your childhood and upbringing, which we've kind of talked a bit about. 
So I'm more interested now specifically about how, like what parts of your childhood and your upbringing you bring into your current understanding and approach to parenthood. Because I know that that's something that's very important to you is your family. Mm -hmm. So what do you see as reflections of your own childhood? childhood? What lessons do you take from that that you apply now? Yeah, so like I told you, my um, I, I was raised uh, with five siblings um, by a single parent mom who instilled in us this this this, this sense of family, if you will, um, and that that sense of family is something that I carry forward. The importance of even today, all of us, uh, my brothers and sisters, sister. It's important that we get together several times a year for different events. Uh, mm. Family is extremely important. You know, regardless of whatever our situation was, that we had family. So that's why today, you know, even though my kids are enjoying a better socioeconomic life than I had, I still try to uh, preserve this idea of family being most important. Just hearing more about this, just how close your family is, um, um, I'm thinking now a lot about grief because I know also that you lost your older brother some years ago yeah. and you lost your wife as well to cancer. Um, anything you can say about that at all, no prompt. Just yeah. what was your experience with, with grief and with losing parts of your family that is so close to you? You know, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult uh, because you're losing the physical embodiment of those individuals. Um, you know, losing my brother, my oldest brother, Johnny, he was the one that paved the way for all of us. You know, like I said, mom always set the expectations that we we're going to go off to college. But Johnny, my oldest brother, he was the first one to go. I was number two. I'm number two in line. Um Watching him go from college transition from college to the workforce, he was always that one that was blazing the trail for the rest of us. So losing him um, was difficult. Um, but the the neat thing about Johnny um, is that uh, he lived on in each of us in some way. You know, we each when we get together, we don't again we don't reflect on the sadness of losing his his physical. Um, entity, it's it's a reflection on how much he left with us. Then losing my wife was difficult. Um, uh, losing Sheila was hard because uh, we got married, um, had three kids together, and um, life was good. And then uh, one day when she was training for a um, uh, an Ironman competition. Whoa. Um, or actually it was a tri triathlon. It was a triathlon, um, bike, swim, run. Mm -hmm. well. uh, she was training for a, a triathlon co competition. She noticed when she was doing the water part that it was difficulty. She had difficulty when she would go in the water, not under the water, just when she would get in the water, the pressure on her chest. Went and got checked and found out there was a softball-sized tumor on her lung. And... Uh, that was difficult. That was around 2011 when she was diagnosed with uh, cancer. And it, uh, you know, for, you know, cancer is an insidious uh, disease and in that um, 
when you think things are going well, you know, you you have great hope because they began to shrink that tumor down through medications. It had great success where this thing was shrunk down to like a two millimeter size. And then next thing you know, it had uh, meta- metastasized and um, had spread to her spine and then her brain. And then you just saw, um, you know, for five years, things were good. Mm. And then all of a sudden, within a six-month period, it went from good to bad and then to worse really quickly. Um, so I, I think that was difficult. Uh, and I think one of the, the two most difficult phases were first when you first get the diagnosis. And then the second most difficult phase is you, you built up this hope that you are beating it only to realize that, yeah, it, you didn't, you know. So um, it was hard, but I will say that, again, um, I get to live with um, – I have the fortune of having three beautiful children that remind me of her every day. And um, so she – she really does. People say this a lot, but she really does live on through them because I see her characteristics in my son and in my two daughters, of course. And, um, and it, it, it's comforting, if you will. Hmm. You're saying this both with your, with your wife and your brother. Like You have this, it sounds like, very clear distinction between physical embodiment of this is who they are and then their oh, yeah. essence. and sounds like you still have that essence with you and it's never going to go anywhere as long as you oh no 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 it's, it's it's never gone and i and i think there's a lot of people that go through this type of grief and this type of loss that experience that as well where you you go through this grieving process and then you kind of reach this point where in this acknowledgement that you've only lost the the physical presence of this individual and then you start identifying with the, the, the aspects of their character, their um, personality, the traits that drew you to the individual. And those are the things you tend to start focusing on. And then you start seeing them mm-hmm. in your loved ones and you're comforted by, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Sheila would have said. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, and you, it helps. It helps you. It helps you get over the, 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 the physical loss. It makes it easier to, is there, is, is recover a word you yeah. would use? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It helps you move on, too. You mm. know, it does help you move on in life. And, you know, I'm, I'm engaged to be married now. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah. I met somebody <laughs> here while I was here at Lehigh. Wow. And she's actually a Lehigh alum. Met her in 2017 and ended up getting engaged to her in tw- December 2021. And, uh. And I mentioned that because moving on was something that was hard for me. I really did not think I would seek out that type of relationship with anyone ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, until you, you meet somebody, and, and in some respects, it's not so much they remind you of the person you lost, because she's not similar in that way, mm-hmm. but they but they allow you to preserve that love that you have for that individual you lost and redefine the love you have for them. So I never felt like I had to give up anything in order to move into this relationship. Okay. Let me <laughs> let me let let me try my best to 
to end on a more up sure, note. Sure. <laughs> Last thing for us to wrap up, I want you to speak directly to our students, our audience, college students. You are an educator. You are the vice president of equity and community. Do you have any parting words, a message for our listeners? Yeah. And it sounds cliche, this idea of being true to yourself. Too often times I see people, and I'll speak to my generation on this, trying to mold young people or those younger than us into something that they weren't necessarily meant to be. Um, sometimes it's, it would be quite easy for me to look at my path to uh, my relative success mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. say, each of you should try to follow that same path. Mm -hmm. But looking at my children being there, it's an, they're an eclectic group, you know, um, looking at each of them, just giving them and equipping them with the tools that they can have to be themselves and find their success and who they are. I, I just, encourage every young person to try to find that, to pursue that, to find out, to figure out. It took me a long time in life to figure out who I was. I'll be honest with you. I, I was searching on mm -hmm. who I really mm -hmm. was. And um, once I found that, that's when things began to click for me. And so I'm always now aware that my message needs to be one of encouragement to find who you are, pursue those aspirations and to remain fierce and unapologetic as well <laughs> thank you so much for for leaving us with that and for everything else that you've said i think we're gonna gonna wrap it up here okay so how are you feeling now though really great and I, and, and let me just tell you i really appreciate this as well i appreciate what you're doing well, thank you um i really do admire uh people that are doing what they love to do and you give the appearance your energy everything you you make me feel like you really love doing this oh. and so it, it it makes me want to be on my be my best oh really um, for you as a, as a guest great energy i really appreciate it thank you so much for saying that and to our listeners you will hear from me again in two weeks this has been dr donald outing thank you so much for joining us and goodbye <laughs> lehigh insider will be back to you in two weeks catch us every other friday on the brown and white spotify lehigh insider is created by bonor ayambim and produced by the brown and white with music produced by dj zen find lehigh insider on instagram for bonus exclusive content at lehigh insider and while you're there follow the brown and white at L.U. Brown White on Instagram. You can also visit our website at www.thebrownandwhite slash Lehigh Insider. This has been Benor Ayambem, and I will see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye.